Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson will be baked, will be based on the words and prophecy from Isaiah chapter 2, the first five verses. You can find that on page 9 in your worship guide or on the screen or your Bibles or your devices. This is Isaiah chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, son, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In January or July, actually, of 2019, my sister Hannah and I got to hike to the summit of not one, but two 14ers, mountains along the Colorado Rockies that are over 14,000 feet. Now, I tell this to you not just to share the obligatory summit photo that hikers take of themselves, but rather because the exploration the experience, and the views that my sister Hannah and I got to share along that adventure were a lot like the exploration, the experience, and the views that you and I will share through our adventure through the season of Advent. How so? Well, let me show you this. The two peaks that we summited were called Gray's Peak and Torrey's Peak. And these are two mountains that have their peaks right next to each other that practically beg hikers to take them all in at once. And so it is with Advent. During the season of Advent, we commemorate Christ's coming into the world. Advent is the season that starts the church year for Christian churches. We don't follow a regular or traditional calendar, but rather we start the year with this, Christ coming to us. Christ coming to us, and rightly so, during Advent, we commemorate his first coming on Christmas Day. But during the season of Advent, we also look forward to Christ coming again on Judgment Day. And so, What we're doing during the season of Advent is really going to the top of two peaks, the two most prominent peaks of our salvation history in Christ, his first coming at Christmas and Christ's second coming 
again at the end of all things. And during this season, we take it all in at once. And so what we're going to do this morning is go on a bit of an adventure. We're going to summit both the first peak of Christ coming to us at Christmas and Easter and all his work during his earthly ministry, but also his coming again. And what the Lord is going to bless us with on this Advent adventure is an exploration of repentance, an exploration of what that means and what that looks like to ready our hearts as we experience, secondly, the anticipation of Christ coming to us, and third, get to simply rejoice at the views that God gives us, views that don't leave us feeling personally refreshed, but truly spiritually renewed. So shall we begin our climb with the king? Our climb during the season of Advent, it, it starts with a lesson that, well, may seem a little out of place for this time of year. We begin with the end in mind. We started with Jesus coming to us as he rode a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, as he, as he climbed the summit or the hill of Jerusalem, really, for the last time. You might say to yourself, why are we reading about Palm Sunday and Holy Week during Christmas and Advent season? Well, it's because we begin with the end in mind. When we celebrate Advent, we are not merely celebrating an emotional preparation for Christmas time, nor are we just going through the motions of this time of year as we look forward to Christ coming just as a baby in a manger. Nor do we pretend that Christ hasn't coming, come yet, and, well, we'll see what happens when he gets here. No, the season of Advent for New Testament Christians, for you and me, means we begin with the end in mind, and we know how it all ends. We know that, yes, Jesus came in a manger in Bethlehem, but we also know that he came as a king for us on Palm Sunday. We know what happened on Easter, and we know what happened when he rose again from the grave, ascended on high to give us all things. We know that he came as a king, a king who is victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And that is why the crowd shouted what they did. They knew that this Jesus was a fulfillment, or they had hoped that this Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, about the son of David. And that is why they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes. Note well, your king comes to you. But see how he comes. He comes humbly as a baby lying in a manger, as a king who was riding not on a white steed, but on a donkey, and was wearing a crown, not a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. This is how our Savior comes. As we go through this Advent adventure, it's important to remember why he came the first time. He came to be both a victor and a victim. A victor over sin, death, and the devil, but suffer as the victim for our sin, for our guilt, for, for our shame. He came as the king of kings, the king of heaven and earth, but also as a little baby in Bethlehem, 
And so this is it. We see that he comes in this way, but we know well that he comes to you and he comes for you. Friends, we've reached the first summit already and we get to begin with the end in mind. We get to see that Christ comes and when he comes, he comes victorious. Take it in. Take in the sight of your king. It is the most spectacular sight that there is. Or are you rather unimpressed? Are you rather maybe unmoved by this picture of your king? When my sister and I hiked up to Gray's Peak and then later Tory's Peak, uh, we noticed a lot of other hikers along the way. When we got to the top of Gray's Peak, the first summit, we sat down to eat a snack and, and take in all the views, and we, and we watched two parents and, I don't know, maybe their, their young teenage son also come up. And I don't know what was up with the young man, but he was staring at his device the whole time. As he walked up to the top of the summit and his parents sat down to take in the views, it was like he was unimpressed by the view over the Colorado Rockies. He just sat there while they ate and he, and he watched something that he had downloaded on one of his devices, unmoved by the sights that surrounded him. Are you the spiritual equivalency of that young man? What I mean is, what are your eyes looking at during the season of Advent? Let me ask it a little bit of a different way. Because we're just beginning Advent here, let me ask it like this. What are your plans for Christmas preparations, for, for Advent commemorations during this time of year? If your plans do not include fixing your gaze on this king, the child, the Christ, the one who would eventually come for a cross, you're missing Christmas. You're missing really the whole point of it all. Sure, you might be celebrating something this time of year, but it's not Christmas. Friends, what to do if that's not where your eyes are fixed? Repent. Really, turn your eyes to him. See your king comes to you. Because our eyes looking and commemorating and celebrating anything that is not Christ means that you're not only trampling over, well, the birthday party and, and ruining the birthday party for baby Jesus, but it also means you're, you're running roughshod over the gifts that he came to give you during his birthday party. See, this, this is the good news, though. If this is what our celebrations entail, fixing our eyes on our king, seeing him coming for you, his face shines on you. And what you see is during Christmas, Christ not only comes to bring about the warm, sentimental feelings of this time of year, but he comes to give you very real and very personal gifts for you. He comes to you to give you his gift of forgiveness. His gift of forgiveness not, not only for not prioritizing him during this season, 
but his forgiveness for all our sins, the removal of all our guilt and all our shame. He comes to give you the gift of peace, knowing that between you and God, there is no beef. Your God is never disappointed with you. He's never angry at you. He's never embarrassed by you, but he loves you because God has restored or redeemed that relationship. And that means that we have joy. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, the Lord is near. Friends, the Lord is not only near to you through his word, he is near because he has come here. You know how this this whole Advent season begins and it ends. It begins with Christ coming as a baby. It ends with him riding into Jerusalem and it ends with him on a cross. But that's not the end either. It ends with him bursting forth from his grave in order to give you all of the gifts that he bled and died for. This is what we celebrate, and this is the sight that we take in on the first summit, the first peak of this Advent adventure. It was an exploration of repentance. Hopefully, hopefully just seeing that allowed you to step back and, and reevaluate, well, what path you're going to walk on during the season. It brings about the experience of anticipation as we once again get to look forward to him coming, even though we walk along the same path that we do every year. And it leaves you with a view, a view of your king, a view that lets you know full well that he is victorious. And that view, well, it leads us spiritually renewed. And thank God, and thank God for that, because, well, our walk isn't done. After summoning that first peak, what what we're doing is is heading down the mountain only to go back up another one, to go back up the mountain that represents, if you will, Christ's second coming, his coming at the end of all things, his coming that we spent some time focusing on during our last worship series. Last week, we read Revelation chapter 22, and there we heard Jesus' own words say, Yes, I am coming soon. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet looked forward to see, the last days, when the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. How do we know that Isaiah is talking about what John in Revelation saw? How do we know that Isaiah is truly talking about that second coming again? Well, here's how we know that. We know two things. The mountain of the Lord, Mount Moriah, the temple mountain in Jerusalem, it's not the highest mountain in the world. In fact, not even close. That mountain is just over 12,000 feet. That means it's 17,000 feet shorter than Mount Everest, the the tallest mountain in the world. It's not even close to the highest of the mountains. And second, we know this, that all nations, all people, no one's ever rushed to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount there. So here's what we do know. That Isaiah is not talking about physical mountains, but spiritual ones. Isaiah is not talking about things in this life, but rather, he's talking about our eternal life. 
He's talking about what took place on that first mountain, the mountain of Calvary, the mountain that that God led his own son up and sacrificed the lamb for the sins of the whole world there. We're talking about how what took place on that first mountain has risen in prominence and importance to the most important fact in this whole world's history. What we're talking about is because of what took place on that first mountain, well, there is a a second peak to summit. There is Christ coming again. There's Christ coming for you, and what our God does at that end time is draw all people to himself by the good news of what took place on the first mountain. We're talking about the Holy Spirit calling, gathering, and enlightening the whole Christian church, all people from all nations for, well, all people that Christ died to bring him to himself. That is why... As we look at this day, we hear what we heard in Revelation. God's people say what word? Come. 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 Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Friends, we're, we're walking through this valley, if you will, looking up towards that, that second peak, and, and this is what it is. It is Christ coming for us. The only question that remains is, will you come? God's people, God's messengers for all times have shared that message. Come. Come, let, let's walk in his path. So will you? When my sister and I got to just over the halfway point of that valley and started to head to the second peak, we came up to a group of other hikers. And to put it as courteously as possible, they were whiners. They were whining like nobody I've ever heard whine on a hike. Now, I get it. Walking eight and a half miles is really hard for anyone. Climbing up one mountain is difficult for any human being. But these groups of people, they were complaining like nobody else, letting everyone know how tired they were, letting everyone know how hungry they were, to the point where my sister and I and other hikers along the way even offered them food and water. But they turned it down. And I'll put this as seriously as possible. What they did next is something that I can't believe they did. Because instead of walking up the second peak, which I think they had originally set out to, they decided to, well, take a different path. If you were to head back down the mountain after going up both of them, what you need to do is start going up to the first mountain peak again. And there you see the little yellow arrows and the one I circled. That's the path where you cross it to go back down. But these hikers had no time for that. They were too tired, too exhausted, too hungry to dare climb up another mountain peak, so they stopped right there, and they decided to start blazing their own trail across something that is known as Kelso's Ridge. And Kelso's Ridge is covered by snow every month of the year. So even in the summertime, well, it's prone to avalanche. And they started walking out very dangerously. And to put it as plainly as possible, 
these complaining climbers were not expert mountaineers. They were in some very real trouble as they decided to walk across Kelso's Ridge to try to get back to the path. I asked you the question before, will you come? Will you come and, and walk along his path? Because here's the truth. As we take this Advent adventure, and, and hopefully you've caught by now that this isn't a real adventure. I'm, I'm talking about our lives, our Christian journey through life. As we go on this adventure, yes, there will be peaks. There will be those amazing moments where we see the view of our King of God and we will feel uplifted, if you will. But there will also be valleys. In life, there will also be those low moments. And again, I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically. Those times in life where things feel low and difficult and dark. And, and maybe it's personally or relationally or financially, but the truth is we're spiritual beings. And so well, everything is a spiritual struggle for us as we enter into these valleys. There will be highs and, and there will be lows. And you, and you need to know this, that during those low periods, what Satan will love to do more than anything is take advantage of the fact that you're spiritually or physically hungry or spiritually or physically exhausted. And he'll want to say, come on, come on, turn right around. And you can get back quicker if you just blaze your own trail. If, if you take a different route, you can get where you want to go a whole lot faster. So will you come? Or will you, will you fall into these invitations, and we call them temptations, to turn around or, or turn and, and go your own way? Thankfully, after that complaining group of climbers went out about a few hundred yards, someone called out to them. Someone shouted to them and, and got through to them and made clear to them the serious danger that they were in. So they came back. And the good news is because, well, you and I, we're, we're not expert mountaineers. We're not expert climbers. We can't even make this, this climb on this Advent adventure on our own. Well, thankfully, someone calls out to us. Someone shouts to us. And in fact, more than that, comes to us. Comes to us. And the good news is that our Lord, he comes to us and calls to us through our word to come back. And he, he shines a light on his path for us. Friends, this is the good news as, as we travel through this valley of life, as we travel on this Advent adventure. At no point are you climbing alone, but you climb with the king. And your king not only comes to you in good times as he rides into Jerusalem, he comes to you through the deepest, darkest valleys. That is what your good shepherd walks with you through all of the way. And his word calls out to you. It cries out to you to save you from yourself when you find yourself on your own version of Kelso's Ridge doing your own thing. He comes to you and he calls out to you and he puts you on sure footing. He establishes your footing on his path where no avalanche or attack from Satan can knock you off it again. This is the good news about the good word of our God, is that it carves out for us safe places to stand along his path as we continue to ascend towards that second summit, that second advent, 
that second coming of Christ again. We stand there with him on solid ground, on Christ, our rock. But the good news is that well, we don't just stand there, but that we walk with him. We walk in the light of the Lord. We read it before. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? It means to listen. It means to listen to the word of our God. The psalmist said in himself, your words are a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. This Advent season, we do the one great task that God has given to us, his people. We listen. We listen to us, listen to him as he teaches us his word and his way and shows us the path that's before him. And the result? It's peace. We read it before from Philippians 4. The apostle says, the Lord is near. In other words, he's here. He's here because he's near to you in his word. He's here because he came to you the first time. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Walking through this Advent adventure, walking through this valley of life, it doesn't mean that we're going to experience just happiness and no problems all of the time. No, there will be very real temptations to grumble and complain and even turn around like those hikers. After all, think about it. Where are we right now? We're living between the two great appearances, the two great summits or peaks of God's salvation history for us in Christ. That's where we are now. We're in the valley. And yet we can traverse this stretch of road, this path, difficult as it may be at times, with peace. With peace knowing that we don't climb alone. We climb with the king. The Lord is here. And what he gives us is a peace that transcends understandings, that transcends even these momentary troubles, and it guards our hearts and minds in Christ. Friends, that's what you see. That's, that's what you know. And, it's, and it comes because you know the view. You know the view that awaits you. Oftentimes, do we walk along this Advent adventure as though we forgot what we saw on the first peak? Or do we remember what we saw? Your king comes to you. And because he came once, you can be in full confidence that he will come again. And that view, that first view, it changes our view well, here and now. That's what you know. And that's what I wish the UN knew. Outside of their building in New York City, they have these words from Isaiah printed in a park directly across the street. The end part of our reading, they left out the part about Christ and how he will be the one to establish this. But then they said, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. 
Here in picturesque language, the prophet Isaiah is describing that peace that God establishes between us, the peace that God will establish on that second mountain at his second coming, that there will be no chaos or war or animosity between anybody. But it's easy to want to apply that, well, here in the valley, if you will. The interesting thing is that the UN put this in a park called Ralph Bunch Park. And the neat thing is that they had a better quote to go for. Ralph Bunch is a diplomat who was very active during the middle part of the previous century. And he was the first African-American to win the Nobel Peace Prize for his work with the United States and the United Nations. He said this, and he wasn't talking about Jesus, but it reminds us of no better application than him. He said, if you want to get across an idea, wrap it up as a person. Friends, during our Advent adventure, during our journey through life as Christians, your king wanted to get one idea across to you, and that is that you have peace with him. You have peace between him and the Father. You have peace between you and your God. And that means that you have peace as you hike along this path. How did our God, our King of Kings, get that idea across to us? He sent his son to be born of a woman, to be born and placed in a manger, someone who would be a victim to death, but would be a victor and ride and walk victorious for you. Therefore, God's people come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen.